the perfect drought. Excuse me? We're going to talk about it. Welcome to California State of Mind from Cal Matters and Cap Radio. I'm Nigel Duara in Los Angeles. And I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. Yeah, so researchers are calling it the perfect drought. And we're in it. We're in a drought so bad, even lots more rain won't help. Wait, what? More rain won't help? Because the water's evaporating too quickly because it's so darn hot. Wow, okay. Well, so I was reading The Atlantic, and one farmer also told them that he has stopped referring to the drought as unprecedented because it, like, happens all the time now. He's calling it biblical, which is, like, makes us sound really scary. Well, let's hope they uh, save the locusts and the frogs. Down here in L.A., the Metropolitan Water District issued a water supply alert. That's the first time in seven years they've done it, which means that we're going to have to start conserving. And it's voluntary for now. Yeah, well, my lawn is yellow, and we've been debating whether to pull it out. But, like, this is where it starts to get tricky because, like, I just planted this tree so that we can shade our house, so that we can save on electricity. But that little sapling also needs water, so I'm in this weird dilemma where I just feel bad no matter what I do. Just water the tree and pull out the grass, Nicole. Simple, simple. Put in some rocks. <laughs> well, it's yellow anyway, so ugh, rocks. Well, I have two dogs, and they have turned the lawn into a scratched-up dirt patch, which actually is what they should be doing. See, these dogs are climate scientists. Well, when they become political scientists, have them call me because we are in the final stretch here with recall ballots in your mailbox. Most people have probably already received theirs at this point. I did. I did. And I sent my Nicole. Look how good I am. You are good. And okay, this ballot is only two questions, but I have to say I have gotten so many emails recently from people who are still confused about how all of this works. Like, for example... The second question, this is where you're supposed to pick your replacement if Gavin Newsom is recalled. But there's a space for a write-in. So a lot of people are writing to me and wondering if they can just write Gavin Newsom's name there and vote for him that way. Well, well I, mean, I mean, can they? Can, can Newsom, like, replace himself? I saw this in a movie. <laughs> no, he can't. The Secretary of State's office tells me that if you do write Newsom's name in that spot, that vote actually won't count because there's this list of certified recall candidates, and he's not one of them. He cannot be on the second part of that ballot at all. So maybe don't do that. But That just sounds like a lot of rules. There are a lot of rules for these two questions. So if you or anybody listening has questions about the recall or the ballot or how to vote or voting by mail or anything like that, we have you covered. Find our voter guide at capradio.org slash recall. Cal Matters also has a voter guide, along with bios and interviews with some of the top recall candidates. It's also a very helpful resource if you're looking at the second question and wondering who to pick or what you should do. Yeah, get informed before you vote. Okay, so now, for today's show, one of the issues we keep an eye on is police accountability. We talked a couple times on this podcast about state legislation cracking down on police misconduct. If you guys remember, in the wake of George Floyd's death, lawmakers proposed a bunch of bills to further regulate police, especially when it comes to how law enforcement interacts with people of color and people experiencing a mental health crisis. Well, at Cap Radio, two of our reporters got really interested in how police are working to solve sexual assault cases and whether there is any room for improvement on that side of police work. They looked into how one department in the Sacramento area is using a special designation to clear rape cases without sending a perpetrator to court. This is a trend that reporters and researchers have found in several California police departments. 
Here to explain some of their reporting are Sammy Kaola, Cap Radio's healthcare reporter, and Emily Zentner, Cap Radio's data reporter. Welcome to California State of Mind. Hey, Nicole. Thanks for having us. Sammy, let's start with you. What got you interested in investigating how law enforcement in the Sacramento area deal with sexual assault cases? This actually started about two years ago when someone in the community emailed Cap Radio. She emailed our managing editor and said she had had a really bad experience when she reported a rape to the Sacramento Police Department. She said she felt really dismissed, that they didn't take her seriously, they didn't believe her, they were condescending when she made her report, and then beyond that, that they never investigated her case. They basically took her report and then nothing happened. And when she talked to us, it had been more than a year since she made the report and she was still really stuck and really really upset about this. And she just wanted to know how often this happens. She wanted to know if she was an outlier. And we were curious about that too. So we ended up doing a two-year project. It's called After the Assault. It's a seven-part podcast with uh, digital articles and resources. And you hear from uh, really eight different survivors about what happened. Um, Some reported to law enforcement and some didn't. But there were multiple who reported and said their cases just didn't go anywhere. And here are some of their voices. Healing with legal action is fraught because you're dependent on other people. And other people can fail you. To keep my sanity, which didn't always happen, um, I had to let go of the outcome. I had to just remember all the things I had in my head about how this never, you know, these never work out anyway. I don't expect very much. Just feeling like there are these departments or things set up to assist you and help you. And then the fact that they're not able to or they don't at least communicate with you just puts the victim in even a worse mental state of feeling like just hopeless and helpless. So a lot of these survivors had some really challenging experiences. Um, Emily, you're the data expert here. What numbers questions did you have right off the bat on this? One that, you know, kept coming up was wanting to know what number or portion of survivors even go to police and report the crime in the first place. Nationally, the Department of Justice found that only one quarter of sexual assault survivors report their cases. Well, Sammy, in talking to survivors, what were some of their reasons for deciding not to go to police? There are a lot. And I just want to say off the bat that Reporting to law enforcement or not reporting is absolutely a survivor's choice. There's no right or wrong thing to do at that moment. A lot of the reasons people don't want to report have to do with just assuming that nothing is going to happen. You know, there is this idea that what you see on TV with people going to court and getting to face their rapist, that that is a pretty rare scenario. And there's also a distrust of police. There's this fear that you could go to the police and tell them about an assault and that you're going to end up harmed. On top of that, there's just kind of a culture of disbelief You know, when we've seen survivors come forward in pop culture, in media, they're not always believed. People attack them. So a lot of survivors might be hesitant to go to police for all of these reasons. But for those who do, what are the likely outcomes for their case? Like, do most cases end up with someone being arrested or how many? So there's a couple of things that can happen to your case. Um, What 
happens, I would say, most often in sexual assault cases is those cases end up suspended, which means that basically an investigation was completed, but some problem has occurred where they can't move that case forward to an arrest. So they they kind of set it aside. It's still open. If new information becomes available, they can keep working it. But, you know, it's it's put aside. Officers can clear a case in a couple of different ways. And the one that most people probably think of is clearing a case by arrest, which is, you know, an arrest is made. And you can assume that, you know, someone is starting to be held accountable. But that was not happening in the departments we got data from very often at all. And that makes sense because these are really hard cases to prove and really hard cases to get enough evidence to make an arrest in. Um, You know, there's a lot of times not witnesses besides the perpetrator and the victim. And you also have to overcome something called the consent defense, which is basically where the perpetrator and their defense attorney can come to court and say, well, the person consented to to this, you know, this encounter that happened. And if there are no other witnesses there, you know, you have to have a case that can that can overcome that argument. And that's unique to sexual assault cases because you're not going to get robbed and go to court and have the person who robbed you say, oh, well, they let me in their house and told me I could I could take things. So, you know, there are these unique circumstances that law enforcement and prosecutors have to overcome for a sexual assault case. Um, Another way that they can clear your case, which is less commonly talked about, is by something called exceptional means. Tell us about that, because that ended up being a huge part of your finding, right? So exceptional means is a kind of administrative designation that basically allows law enforcement to mark a case as cleared, even though no one has been taken to court and held accountable for what happened. Police have to know who committed the crime. They have to know where they are, and they have to have enough evidence to make an arrest. And then for some reason outside of their control, basically, they need to not be able to make an arrest. So that can be a case where the perpetrator has passed away or is already imprisoned in a different jurisdiction, or maybe where the victim decides they don't want to be involved in an investigation anymore. We talked with Cassia Spahn, who is a researcher at Arizona State University, and she has looked into departments overusing this designation and she and all the other experts we spoke to were just really clear that this should be something that's used very rarely. They labeled this exceptional clearance. It was supposed to be the exception and not the rule. And so that seems to suggest that the exceptional clearance would be relatively rare. Well, Emily, you looked into what was happening in several law enforcement departments in the Sacramento area. And and from what I understand, there were many, many communications and requests going on for a long time. From all that digging you did, what did you find about how these departments are clearing sexual assault cases? So when we were looking into data from the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office, We found that in 2019, they cleared 81% of their sexual assault cases by exceptional means, which is just incredibly high. And I was extremely shocked when I saw that number. And then they cleared 58% of sexual assault cases that way in 2018. And we talked with Kasha Spahn after we saw this, and she said she just didn't see how this could be a legitimate use of exceptional clearance. You know, as we talked about earlier, It's a pretty strict standard that a case has to meet. 
And we were able to get data from the Citrus Heights Police Department that was comparable to the sheriff's office's data. And they cleared barely any cases by exceptional clearance in this period. They didn't clear any in 2019 and 2018. And they just cleared a couple in the years before that. The data that the Sacramento Police Department gave us was less broad than what the sheriff's office gave us. So we weren't able to compare them directly to each other. But talking with their sergeant, they told us, too, that this is something that they use very rarely, especially in sexual assault cases. This is not something that's coming up often for them. And even the Sacramento sheriff in 2016 and 2017 was was clearing very few cases this way. Wow. So those recent years, something very different was going on with the Sacramento sheriff, it sounds like. What did the sheriff's office themselves have to say about why they're clearing so many sexual assault cases that way? Did they have an explanation? Well, Sammy and Emily asked them about it. We'll find out what they said when we come back. Stay tuned for more California State of Mind. It's California State of Mind from CAP Radio and Cal Matters. I'm Nicole Nixon. And I'm Nigel Duara. Okay, so Nicole, you're talking with your CAP Radio colleagues, Sammy Cayola and Emily Zettner, about police use of exceptional clearance to clear rape cases. That's what researchers say should be used actually very rarely. Yeah, I mean, it's in the name, exceptional clearance. But they found the Sacramento sheriff in recent years has been clearing the majority of their rape cases using exceptional clearance. I guess I'm wondering if this is happening in other departments in the state. Spoiler alert, it is. And we'll hear about that. But first, I asked Sammy and Emily if they were able to talk with the Sacramento sheriff about why this is becoming so much more common in more recent years. Well, we tried to talk to the sheriff's office about this. Uh, We got to do an interview with Sergeant Michelle Hendricks, who was running the Sheriff's Department Sex and Elder Abuse Bureau uh, before she retired. So she retired in May 2020, and we talked to her um, just a little bit before that. And, you know, she was open to speaking with us about how they take reports, how they assign reports to detectives, just what their investigative process looks like. But when we got to talking about the outcomes of these cases and what gets cleared and how, she really was not interested in giving us any comment. And when we told her we had this data and we asked her directly about exceptional clearance, she shut us down pretty hard. So you're about to hear Emily asking Sergeant Hendricks to talk about the records. I'm not going to. Can I ask why? Because I'm not comfortable with it. If I can provide you with the data. No. You can send it to me. That's, that's what I mean. If I can send you an email with what I'm looking at and with some questions and with some of the research I've done, and maybe we can talk again. or do What I'd probably do is refer it to the record supervisor. But yes, you can send it to me. I mean, the goal here is for us to understand each other's mm-hmm. role, for you to understand our role. And I do not want to go down a path that leads anybody with any misconceptions. Okay, so the Sacramento Sheriff's Department was clearing a lot of cases by exceptional means, and, you know, it sounded like they did not want to talk about it. Is this, though, really cause for suspicion? Like, is something fishy happening here? Or could this just be a part of policing where they reach the point where they need to move on and do something with these cases? I would say what 
it sounds like from talking with Cassius Spawn and other experts should be happening is if they're reaching that point in most of these cases, they should be suspending the case. Because, again, exceptional clearance describes this very specific situation, whereas suspending a case is more what you would use just when you've hit a point where you need to move on. You know, clearing more cases by exceptional means can give the impression that a department is solving more cases than they are. We talked with Elizabeth Donegan, who is a former Austin Police Department investigator, and she now trains other police departments on how to handle sexual assault cases. And she told us a little bit about the false impression this can give. So it appears that the case is closed or in the public interprets that as we've caught the rapist and there's some sense of justice for the victim. So it appears that more cases are being closed and rapists held accountable than they actually are. So I think that it's disingenuous is too light a word to use. I mean, that agencies are using this to prop up what the public views as a a safe community. So you two were very focused on police in the Sacramento area, the area that CAP Radio covers, um, but you mentioned that other police departments can do this. Where do we know of that this is happening? Where else? So Kasha Spawn actually studied this in Los Angeles and found that the Los Angeles Police Department and Los Angeles Sheriff's Department were exceptionally clearing most of their rape and attempted rape cases between 2005 and 2009. And she actually did a pretty amazing deep study on that. And again, reiterated that these cases should be the exception, not the most often used clearance. And she found there that what was going on in Los Angeles was some due to a lack of training and that it was just clear to her there that they were overusing and misusing exceptional clearance in a concerning way. And that that was leading to a miscarriage of justice. And Cassius Bond's concern through doing that research was that departments were taking thin case files to the prosecutor and the prosecutor was rejecting them. And then they were just clearing the cases by exceptional means and maybe not doing a thorough investigation. One of the um, actually deputy chiefs for the LAPD said, well, that's like clearing cases with an eraser. And some of the detectives we interviewed particularly from the LAPD, said, if I've got a problematic case, I will take it to the district attorney to get a reject. Well, we've had some laws passed around police transparency. Is there anything in this realm when it comes to how police are clearing rape cases? What can be done about this issue? I mean, the easy answer is police departments can follow the rules on on clearing cases by exceptional means. Um, the higher level solutions are a little bit harder. One thing that Cassius Bond brought up in her study was that if probable cause exists, which basically means that police have enough evidence to make an arrest, an arrest should be made and that arrest shouldn't be contingent on whether or not a case is going to succeed in front of a jury. Well, Sammy Kayola and Emily Zetner, thank you so much for diving into this with us and sharing all of your reporting. Thanks for having us, Nicole. Thanks, Nicole. 
Nigel, Emily told me this is an area where law enforcement just need more training and there should be more transparency since, as you heard there, there was none at all when they brought their questions to the sheriff's office. Yeah, this definitely seems like one of those journalism projects, one of those stories where you peel back some layers and maybe you don't get exactly what you were looking for, but you know there's something else there that you hit on and it deserves more attention. Totally. And there's a lot of other topics that Sammy and Emily explore in their After the Assault podcast. Other parts of the series don't have to do with police at all. There's a lot in there about survivor healing, what it looks like, and how to be a better ally if there's an assault survivor in your life. You know, what to do if someone discloses an assault to you. So it really does span everything about the aftermath of sexual violence, both the immediate aftermath and the long-term effects. Yeah, that's a terrific resource, and it's definitely needed. We know from research this is just really rarely reported. And that's this week's episode of California State of Mind. We're going to be off next week, but tune in next time. California State of Mind is a collaboration of Cal Matters and Cap Radio. It's produced by Jen Picard and edited by Randall White. Antonio Minez and Chris Feltz are our engineers. Sally Schilling is our executive producer. Mark Jones is the technical director. Chris Hagen is our digital editor. Margarita Noriega and Chris Bruno are our masters of marketing. Our social media is run by Emmy Gilbert and Courtney Fong. Nick Miller is editor at Cap Radio and Joe Barr is our chief of content. Dave Lesher is editor at Cal Matters. Our theme song is Melifera Lagustica by Isaac Joel. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You'll be notified every Friday of a new episode. That is all for now. Thanks for listening to California State of Mind. See you next week. Support for California State of Mind comes in part from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. 